I V M. Have you ever eaten a batasa? Those crispy, slightly hollow, buttery round biscuits that you dunk in your tea and then scoop directly into your mouth. Batasa was my granny's favorite biscuit. Every morning, she would bring her cup of tea out. She would dunk three batasas in it and then read the headlines while they soaked in her choy. Five minutes later, when the batasa had soaked up all the sweet tea flavor, she would start drinking her tea. I've always wondered about batasa. Who invented them? Was it an Iranian recipe we brought to India? And exactly how did they end up becoming so popular? To answer all my questions, today on the show, I have Cyrus Dotiwala, whom I was first introduced to about three years ago. Cyrus is the sixth generation owner of the famous Parsi-owned Dotiwala Bakery in Surat. Dotiwala has now been around for almost 200 years and manufactures all sorts of biscuits and cakes. But they're best known for their humble batasa. In fact, they're one of the few, if not the only Parsi bakery that ships their biscuits all across the country and even internationally. On the show today, we talk about batasa, of course, but also about what it means to inherit a multi-generational business, the challenges involved in maintaining a family legacy, and the future of Irani, as well as Parsi-owned bakeries and cafes in India. This is Not Just Dansak, and now let's chat with Cyrus Dotiwala. Welcome, Cyrus, to Not Just Dansak. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So, um, let's get right into it, Cyrus. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Dotiwala Bakeries, how it started? Um, yeah. We are six generations old into this business now. And it started uh, way back when Surat was a very thriving port for business. And when the Dutch used to trade from Surat, uh, they set up uh, small ovens for their local population for the Dutch people, the, for the Dutch colonies, right. to bake breads. Mm. Bread was not an Indian food at that point in time. Yeah. So only the colonies had to be catered. Now, after and that's actually how it was the Dutch who introduced pow to India, right? The if bread, I'm, yes. Yeah. Uh, the most ancient recipe of bread in India would be of a Dutch origin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and once their tenure, once they started leaving Surat. Yeah. They handed over those ovens to our ancestor, who's Faramji Pestanji Dotiwala, who was the first generation of this business and who started continuing the bakery business. Okay. And uh, naturally, in those days, as I said, the bread was not the the Indian food, so he had to work very hard for the people to adopt to eating bread. Okay. In those days, the doctors used to advise patients to eat bread as it used to be light to digest. Okay. In those days, the bread used to be made out of toddy. You know, toddy, yeah, the like, sap of palm tree. Right. It used to be a natural fermenting agent and uh, the bread never got spoilt or got any fungus because of the toddy in it. Okay. So they used to dry out. When not sold, they used to dry out hmm. completely. So what you got was a kind of a toast. Okay. A dried bread, a toast. Yeah. So those dried breads used to be very easy to digest and healthy. And the doctors started um, prescribing to their patients that uh, you eat this as a light and a nice diet. So that explains why uh, my grandmom, when I'm sick, she'll tell me, Jarak, you know, like have a little tea and batasa (laughs) and you'll feel much better. (laughs) But this batasa is the enriched version of what we are talking about. This this is really very light, low on fat. It's actually a bread which is dried into a toast. Okay. Hmm. And that's how it all started. Okay, that's amazing. So then how did the batasa get invented? 
from that uh, from that so when the, when the patient started getting well <laughs> the doctors wanted them to have something healthy so a fat or a healthy ghee in those days pure ghee was used okay. was added to the dough mixing hmm. and made the dough more rich okay and then it was uh, it was formed like a biscuit a small rounds like a biscuit and it was dried to that texture first it becomes soft like a bread and then it becomes you further put it into the oven and uh, let it uh, dry out okay it becomes a biscuit and that's how the batasa came into existence then they added a flavor a cumin seed or a caraway seed and that's how the modern day batasa came into existence oh wow that's <laughs> and now obviously batasa is i would say no longer a parsi or irani thing the indians have kind of adopted it wholeheartedly and you will get it at all um, you know all your no local kirana guys also make it i would not say it not uh, the kirana anything guys, uh, it's more specific to gujarat okay like in surat the batasas are made by almost every bakery Hmm. Similarly in Ahmedabad Baroda a few bakeries make them. Right. So it's more of a Gujarati or a or a surti food. Okay. Then an Indian food. Okay. Uh, people in North India are not very aware of the batasas they are more aware of other items like toast and naan khatai and all these things. Okay. But batasas are very very much surti and the Parsi population have always um had batasas with the tea you know it's it's a you have to dunk it in your tea and yes. and that's how it how a batasa is traditionally had yeah and some people actually wait for the batasa to cut com- like the tea has to completely soak into the uh, batasa the, and become all uh, the idea <laughs> is that the moment you put the batasa in the cup yeah. the tiny bubbles that come up and that is when you see the tea being soaked by the batasa yeah. and that the combination of the batasa and the tea Hmm. or coffee yeah is what people like to have yes because it's crispy and hot yeah. and yeah. yeah and it's savory it's not a sweet biscuit uh, it, it is a savory biscuit and it, it blends very well with your tea <laughs> <laughs> great so uh, coming back to um, a little bit about how you started at dotiwala could you tell us when you joined uh, the bakery and what your role in the bakery is right now I joined in the year 99 after finishing my hotel management from Sofias. Okay. And my parents were always of the opinion that uh, you need a formal training. Yeah. Actually my grandfather had put my father hmm. through this formal training and in those days there were no catering colleges or institutions the way we have them today. So uh, the only institution was the Institute of Hotel Management at Cadle Road. Yes. Bombay. The dadar one. The dadar dadar one. And there they had this craft bakery course. Okay. And my father had done that. And then I went a, a step further mm-hmm. by doing the full diploma in hotel management. great and food technology and you feel today that that has helped you um, it helps a lot yeah. without formal training in a specialized business like this you feel lost many right. a times right if you have certain basic knowledge about what you are doing certain scientific reasons for doing certain things then it does help a lot okay because bread making basically is a science it, it's there are a lot of chemical uh, changes that take place in the dough of course ha uh-huh. so you have to be well equipped with the knowledge of baking hmm. to run a successful bakery that is what i feel that is what my parents feel 
Okay. And I suppose that's how the future generation <laughs> will also be hopefully yes be trained. Yeah. So um now you manage Dotiwala Bakeries completely with my father yes. With your father. Okay, great. So let's take a step back more and so could you tell me a little bit about what are your earliest memories around food? Like did you always want to sort of join the bakery? Did you want to, you know, become an engineer or a doctor or uh, how did that uh, transition come about? Uh See, when you are born in a family that has a legacy of running a bakery since many generations, especially when you are the first son of the family, oh, okay, it's sort of you know, it comes upon you to do the business, right? And uh, this the generation business that that every generation takes over. It's because of the passion that they have for this particular business, right? And uh, my parents um, never forced me into taking up. the bakery but yes there was always a cue that you have to do this and if you want to do this then you train yourself you equip yourself properly with all the knowledge that is needed hmm. and then join the bakery hmm. so um what was your um, like do you have any fond memories growing up about uh, about food maybe about eating batasa or uh, my my mother and my grandmother were excellent cooks okay so right from the beginning i was uh, you know my taste buds were tantalized right from the beginning <laughs> and uh, my wife today is an excellent cook although okay. she is not very formally trained but she is better than any chef of course <laughs> everyone's mom grandmother and wife are always the best cook yeah. right you can't compete and with I them and i used to visit the bakery right from the childhood okay like in the vacations also my father used to take us we used to be there for hours together okay. and we used to taste everything that was made you know in those days uh, tasting with the methods of production used then right and to carry forward that same taste with the methods of production that are used now with the ingredients that are available now so you know you have to bridge that gap because one minor change and your customer knows that there is something different it's not what it used to be of course and and uh, to continue this kind of a lineage you have to maintain that thing of taste and that thing of texture right from the earlier years to the modern okay till today yeah so um i mean we spoke about the batasa but uh, naan khatta is also one of your best selling items right at the dotiwala bakery yes, so is there any um sort of stories about uh, about the naan khatta how that came to be developed yes there is a story about it uh, there there was a sweet called dal okay and uh, what our forefathers did was they baked this particular dal to a biscuit and that's how the naan khatta came into being Okay. It's flavored with nutmeg and cardamom yeah. seeds. Nutmeg and, and cardamom is by default what we use for everything. Like all Parsi oh, desserts, yes. just put nutmeg and cardamom. Yes. <laughs> so nutmeg and cardamom are the are the heart of the flavors that go into the uh, into the naan khatte. Okay. And in earlier days, it used to be made with pure ghee, and now uh, we have different types of specialized margarines and fats that we use to make it. Hmm. But even today, we make uh, naan khatte out of pure ghee, and they are still very popular. Okay. I mean using pure ghee today is I guess a big inhibitor in terms of uh, the price point right like Exactly the price point and the stability point Okay the 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 specialized uh, margarines and fats provide a, a different level of stability to the product as far as shelf life is concerned Okay as far as the texture is concerned hmm. and it makes your production easier whereas uh, pure ghee it you know the uh, it's not consistently available in the quality that you want and nowadays there are a lot of adulteration going on in pure ghee 
So you have to be very careful of what you use. Okay. So could you, uh, I mean, you know, we've spoken about that it's a multi-generational business and that you're the sixth generation doing this. Can you give me an idea of like sort of the scale in terms of the biz- amount of biscuits you all make? Like how many batasas, for example, do you make in a day? Or uh, how but many cakes do you make in a day, for example? Batasas are our main product and, and they are the ones that sell the maximum. Okay. We, are, we are a small scale industry, but our production is never fixed. It depends on the demand, it depends on the order, the time of the year, the festivals, the fasting seasons. Yes. So, and looking at these parameters, we decide upon how much to produce in a particular day. So I'm actually curious, would your production go up in the fasting season? Because would more mm-hmm. uh, Parsis and other people be like, oh, I'll just have batasa instead of normal food? No, it does not go <laughs> okay. up, it goes really goes, down. Okay, goes Especially down. in the month of Ramzan, hmm. when it's a fasting season, then there is the Hindu month of Savan. Right. Plus, there's this Adhik Maino. You know, you have these periods where festivals come in, Hmm. where uh, people don't eat, where people have fasting. Right. So, in those days, the consumption is a lot lesser. Okay. But the festivals like Diwali, they are our main days of business and Hmm. our products, Hmm. especially the Naan Khatai. In Diwali time is a very popular item. Okay. So... Still, like, just to give an idea, like, how many would you sell? Like, 1,000 batasa packets? It's not, uh, we manufacture in kgs. Okay, you manufacture in kgs. So, so. Uh, let's say about uh, batasas on an average would be about 100 kgs of flour. So, about 160 to 170 kgs of batasas in a day. Wow. Similar and considering that batasa of, uh, is quite light, yeah. uh, 170 kilos of batasa is actually a lot and lot of batasas. Yeah, so <laughs> it depends. It, it, it may go up, it may go down, but on an average, about uh, that much uh, batasas are made. Okay. Similar quantities of naan khatai, parwali, but we also make different types of breads hmm. and cakes, all different departments of production. Okay, great. Hmm. So... um. I mean, I'm very curious to uh, sort of stepping away from the technical aspect of the batasas and the bakery. How is it to sort of inherit a business, um, you know, different from starting a new one? So I'll give you a little context. I mean, I started my own catering company um, about four years ago. And um, it's often been very hard. And, you know, I always uh, envy the people who have a completely set up business that they take over. But I'm sure that there is. So is the grass really greener on the other side? Or is there uh, what are the challenges in sort of running a business which is already, uh, you know, already established it definitely looks very green <laughs> but i i would like to ask you a question in today's day and age do you see more businesses that have come down the generation or do you see more new businesses and new startups i think more and more i would say there are more startups you know because the ones that are multi-generational unfortunately um maybe last one or two generations exactly at, at the most but exactly. uh you know, then someone or the other takes up something else. And I mean, that is the problem that actually the Irani bakeries right now are facing, right? Um, if we think about the Irani cafes in Bombay and things. True. Well, see, when you start your own business, it's your your mind which is working and you are doing everything and setting it up the way you want it. Right. Whereas when you take over a business or when you enter a business which is generations old, the setup already exists. The yep. workers already exists. So instead of you putting your things over there, you have to adapt first to Correct. what is already going on. Yep. I have employees who are working with us since my birth. Wow. 
so for them to accept me as their boss right becomes very difficult if i immediately start firing them or if i immediately start throwing orders at them it's not going to work yeah so it's more important for the person who joins into the business to adapt to the environment rather than putting his own like i'm fresh out of the catering school i know so many things and i try to do things it doesn't work that way first you have to learn the old things and then gradually change them into new things hmm so that process is the difficult process okay you have to really concentrate you have to really you know think many times you might not be right in what you do of course you uh, there, there could be things that could go wrong but if you have that basic knowledge as i said earlier and if you spend enough time in your bakery seeing what is happening hmm. it makes a difference and it helps you to change in a lot better in a more acceptable way okay so i think this is a good point for us to have a break so uh, let's just have a quick break now So welcome everyone. Uh, we're back with Cyrus Dotiwala on not just Dhansak, and we're talking about all things Parsi bakery and biscuits. So uh, Cyrus, uh, continuing on from our conversation, you know we spoke about your bakery, which has lasted for over two um, hundred years now. But uh, you know the reality is that a lot of Parsi bakeries, Irani bakeries that are happening in Bombay are really dying out today. Uh, one is that we spoke about the fact of the generation, uh, you know, the maybe the second or the third generation not wanting to do continuing that, but also, I mean, you know, the ones that are surviving in Bombay are not even surviving just on their baking. They've adapted into Irani cafes or they've adapted into selling food. So, what do you think is the case? Why are these Irani bakeries dying out? Is it a matter of demand and supply? Is it a matter of innovation? What is the problem? Irani bakeries are very traditional to Bombay, right? And they are different from our bakeries back in Gujarat and Surat. Hmm. You know, bakery as an industry is a very labor-intensive industry and needs a lot of hard work. We have been associated with B. Mirwan from Grant Road for three generations now. They have been selling our products since past forty, forty-five years, or wow. could be even more. So the owner of B. Mirwan, Bombay uncle. Hmm. used to get up at 5:30 uh, in the morning and start his bakery at that odd hour he used to start his work he used to close his shop at 7:30 in the evening hmm. so that's more than 12 to 14 hours of work right really hard work besides what you can sell out of a bakery and in today's day and age the price of property in bombay even if you rent out that much property that the irani bakeries have <laughs> yeah. you earn a lot more than you when you actually run a bakery and with fewer hassles of labor yeah. fewer hassles of you know there are so many laws that govern the bakery industry there is the food law there is the labor law correct you know there is the health and the sanitary law hmm. so the generation might have felt that uh, either selling off the property and investing the money somewhere else or renting out the property would bring better returns than actually running the bakery correct so this could be a factor which could have you know stopped the newer generations taking up this business yeah besides uh, the education nowadays is more inclined towards the it industry every child is very computer savvy cell phone savvy so if if a liking of that kind and if the child is educated in that field if he becomes a computer engineer he's naturally not going to run a bakery right which is a lot of hard work <laughs> so that's why maybe 
the newer generation is demotivated to run this business but you know um so when i was doing some research about uh, having you on the show i went to your website and i mean you are i would say one of maybe the only bakeries i mean i'm talking not i mean of course there are like your mainstream bakeries like you spoke about in surat but if i compare you to uh, like a b mehran or um, a kayani or paris bakery one of the only ones to even for example have a website and then i was really amazed that you all even uh, ship internationally so i really feel that you know part of survival is also innovating and moving moving with the times and making sure that you have these facilities available so that your product is accessible to people so what are your thoughts on that i mean i was really um, you, you know excited to, that you, you have, have, to, you <laughs> have you have to change with times uh, yep. there are more people on cell phones today than reading newspapers because all the news is also available on the cell phone so if they need anything they just google it they right. put it on instagram hmm. you know if if a page crops up on facebook they would be more interested in reading about it than an advertisement in the newspaper which is very costly correct so you have to uh, channelize into into what you call social media hmm. to get a mass reach in today's day and age yeah and uh, that's what we have tried to do that's why that's why the website was set up the website was set up way back in 2001 Wow. Uh, after I joined I think in a year or two we had started uh with the website work and you know and uh, the website has changed also over a period of of course time. Yeah. So it is very important uh, uh for the people to know what you are doing and the best way to do it these days is through social media. Of course. So I mean uh, we spoke about the fact that you ship your batasas overseas. So how does uh, that whole market work? How did uh, that idea come about? And uh, you know what is the scale in terms of the international shipping that you all do right now? Uh we have customers uh, who have settled abroad who come back to us saying that a biscuit like this would do very well in my country say Australia, New Zealand, right. the United States. Canada so we used to get these feedbacks so my parents uh they got these feedbacks and they decided that we must venture into exporting our products abroad so after i joined uh, we set up a new production unit in an industrial area nearby and we started with the export business what we did was uh, we contacted uh, certain merchant exporters here in mumbai ahmedabad they are the ones who collect all the local food from around the region and they fill it in the container and they send it abroad hmm. so a smaller consignment like if you don't have a container load of consignment a smaller consignment can also reach a particular destination and that's how we started gradually and then uh, we started exporting to countries like south africa uh, there's a small island called asl reunion in okay. indian ocean okay. there's a single shop Every two to three months, he'll call for some of our products. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Then <laughs> there's Australia, New Zealand. You know, wherever there is uh, Indian population residing abroad, our products have a demand and they do well. Okay. 
I think that's really amazing what you have uh, done, you know, with taking a very homegrown Surti brand and, uh, you know, putting it out into the international market. So, um, I mean, we obviously met uh, the first time on Return to Roots. So Return to Roots is actually a kind of trip which is organized for Parsis who live in the international diaspora who come to India to explore their roots and uh, just learn more about Parsi entrepreneurs uh, in India. And so that's when I got a chance to visit your bakery for the first time and I was really um, so given that I uh, really enjoy food and writing about food I always make it a point whenever I go you know even to Udwada or if I go to Yazdani I'm always requesting the owners can I see like the kitchen behind mm. like I'm, I'm always very curious on how it works so I was quite surprised to see how modern actually your uh, bakery was you know like you had those uh, tall ovens where the batasas were drying out but then you also had uh, the very old the, the school or uh, the traditional ovens so um yeah i mean could you just talk a little bit about your ovens and how you have innovated on um, on that aspect like in the kitchen over the years as i said when you are fresh out of the catering school you really want to do so many things right. that you have seen in the school and in the industry when you do your internship and training so but one thing that i have learned uh, over these years is just introducing a new technology does not help your product the traditional product especially they are they have uh, the, that particular product is made in a particular way and the process that it goes through results in a good final product right now if if i change any of those processes in between there is a there is bound to be a change in the result of the final product which i learned uh, uh, in many of my products okay for instance uh, you introduce rotary rack ovens which are the ovens do we use these days hmm. but the moment you bake that particular biscuit in a rotary rack oven and the same dough is baked in a traditional oven there will be a difference in the way it is baked there will be a difference in the taste the texture the way the product looks so when you tackle a traditional product it is very important that it stays traditional okay you should never be changing the properties of that particular product <coughs> and that's what we've had to do with the batasas that uh, keeping the old taste keeping the old texture we had to introduce machines and technology to help us facilitate the production process making it easier simpler for larger production okay so accordingly we have introduced now batasas are made on a machine okay but the dough is still made in in a traditional mixer okay and then it is transferred to the machine where the where the batasas are dosed on to the trays okay. so that gives a uniformity to the product but in an attempt to give it a uniformity or a better look or an equal look if you change the taste or the texture or the property of the of the batasa it won't work the customers won't accept it very first day you will have somebody giving a feedback saying that there is a change in this thing exactly. it is not what it used to be hmm. because like how our business is from one generation to the other we have customers who have been with us for generations wow the grandfather used to buy from us the son and then the the grandchild yeah so they know because from the beginning of maybe ever since they started eating a biscuit they have been having our biscuit so they know what the actual taste the real taste used to be and that they can never forget 
Hmm. So, and that you can never change. Yeah. <laughs> So you know you spoke about the fact that you have uh, staff in your bakery that have been around since the time that you were born. Yes. Um so how has your experience been working with them with you know like adapting them to this modern technology explaining to them for example that okay now you know maybe we need to scale up from making 50 kilos of uh, batasa to like 150 mm-hmm. kilos right so the challenge is different it's not a case of just multiplying it by 3 so um how has that experience been do you have like a story or something specific uh where uh, you know you've used that to work with your staff the best thing that these old people have the older staff is their experience right they have been doing this particular thing multiple times every day for years now so what they have been doing and the experience that they have been gaining from doing it i can never match up to that right so the best thing would be first learn from them hmm. so what i started doing was i started talking to them about their experiences in the past how they used to do it when my grand uncle used to run the bakery okay how they did it what changes did they make when my dad came in hmm. and now how can we shift to a better technology or a or a newer uh, process without changing as i said the traditional product right so their inputs at this time are of great use because they know okay if some if we change this the result is going to be this from their experience correct and that is where you learn and that is how you use them to gain experience and gather knowledge from them right So I have I have done that with my old staff and they have been very cordial with me. Okay. And they have accepted me very well and after I'm 20 years into the into the business. Right. But still I ask them what what changes according to you would be necessary. Hmm. As far as climate is going when when there is a new uh, ingredient or a raw material that has come in and you have to use that to make a traditional product. Hmm. how how will this raw material change the way the product is made correct that they will be able to tell much better than what you know a fresh out of a college would be able to of course so you have to use them in the correct way and they continue to work for you forever okay <laughs> i mean that's itself is amazing right like i mean today if i think my longest job stint somewhere has been like 6 years and uh, the fact that these people have been with you now for 44 years 44 years is is just pretty going. amazing it's and still, still going. going yeah so, <laughs> so the relations that you maintain with them and the way you present yourself to them you give them that due respect correct that they deserve then I'm sure they'll stay with you forever they'll never go anywhere else. Yeah. And it's also about giving them opportunities like you said they always take their opinion into um and their experience into factor. So it's It's a human nature if yeah. you feel if you feel that you are wanted yeah. you perform a lot better. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I do that's what I make them feel very wanted. Hmm. And then they get, uh, when they come up with their solutions out of the four or five solutions that are that they give out one is definitely going to work okay so it's very good to have them in your institution because you have to stay, stick to a particular tradition correct yeah so um can you shed some light uh, on you know why parsis love their biscuits so much 
like since you are in the business of breads and biscuits like when i got married and i came to my house i realized so at my house afternoon tea is like a really big thing you know we have two or three courses so there's darni puri there is um at least three different kinds of biscuits available and then there's obviously the tea and coffee so um of course bakeries like dotiwala thrive on on this kind of culture but True. um do you know like why this has come to be there's no specific reason but it could be the british influence uh, on our country and on our community for years together now and uh, this thing now has passed on from one generation to the other hmm. like uh, an afternoon tea or a morning tea is a must in every household and even if you are working your afternoon tea is served at your workplace Correct. the biscuit becomes the most easy and you know tasty thing to have with your tea <laughs> <laughs> great so just uh, wrapping up i wanted to talk about uh, you know you said you have two sons so how do you plan on taking your family's legacy forward like have they uh, come in and spend time at the bakery have they shown interest in uh, baking or like or the business um, what's next for the dotiwala family Yes, they do come and in the, in their vacations also they spend a lot of time like how we used to spend time mm. as children mm. in the bakery, and they do show interest. Okay, it's up to them. Yeah, if they want to join, then they will also have to train themselves well and then come and join <laughs> the business. Okay, great. So one of my last questions is something I ask everyone who comes on the show: um, Is dhansak really your favorite dish? And if you had to have one last Parsi dish before you die, would that be dhansak or what would it be? Absolutely dhansak, nothing else. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> okay, well, um, I think this is a great point to end. And so thank you so much, Cyrus, for joining us today. It was lovely. having you here and just hearing about your family's legacy and look forward to digging into a packet of batasa very soon thank you very much for having me thank you bye bye